Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. While we get NBA expert insight from my next guest, who I spoke to yesterday for a solid 45 seconds on, on the phone by mistake, uh, but now I plan on keeping him more than 45 seconds because I need more insight than that. Uh, he is now doing his thing for Sports Illustrated these days, and his podcast is now the crossover. Must listen to you for NBA fans. Our buddy Howard Beck jumps aboard. How are you, Howard? <laughs> doing all right, Johnny Mac. How are you? So you were expecting my call tonight. Um, I mean, you never know. <laughs> I figured probably, but, you know, any given night of the week, uh, always good to talk to you. In my pleasure. No, thank you. For those of you who weren't listening yesterday, I uh, taped an interview with Ron Flatter to talk about the uh, Preakness, and we got the numbers mixed up from a couple of my producers, and one of them called Howard and told me, Ron Flatter's on the line, and I went to punch up Flatter, and it was Howard Beck. He goes, no, it's me, Howard Beck. <laughs> Howard, sorry, yeah, a couple of numbers uh, uh, juggled on a sheet, so our apologies. But I'm glad we got to here tonight. Um, I said at the top of the show, I had to admit that I might have been misguided. I did not like the expanded playoffs or extra teams being added to the postseason this year in the NBA. But today's been great basketball, and I assume we're going to get some really good games during this week. I actually think it's going to work out rather than water it down. How did you feel before these last couple of days? How do you feel now about expanded postseason play in the NBA? I've been fully on board with the play-in tournament, and for all the reasons that have become obvious over the last few weeks, the entire league, it, it seemed, was still in play three, four weeks ago. And, of course, it whittled down as we went. You know, uh, uh, you know, obviously Minnesota and Houston were pretty well out before things even got interesting. And, you know, in the East, you know, Cleveland was out, Detroit was out. But most of the league still had a shot at at least making a chase for 10th. And then it thinned out and it thinned out. But here we are in the last night of the season. There are games getting started right now. And there is still a bunch of stuff in play, including the play-ins. It has given everybody throughout the, each conference reasons to keep going. So if you were... 12th or 13th, and you still had a shot at 10th, you were still trying. And if you were in that 9th and 10th area, and you still had a shot to get to 7th or 8th, well, there's reason to actually want to be 7th or 8th because you get a home game to start and you, you're double elimination instead of single in the play-in. So they're motivated. And if you're in the 7-8 range, you're motivated to try to get to 6th to avoid the play-in. And, of course, if you're 6th or 5th, you're still motivated to try to get to 4th to get home court in the playoffs. And so there were just all these um, pressure points and incentive points throughout the standings 
and it has made the last month of this season more competitive, more engaging, and with more teams still feeling they had something at stake. And so at the end of it all, we'll get the second payoff. That was the first payoff, a more competitive NBA down the stretch of a season instead of everybody racing to the bottom, tanking, even though there's still a few teams doing that. The second payoff is coming in a couple of days, Jody, because for the rest of this week, after an off day tomorrow, we're going to get playing games. It's going to be really dramatic. It's going to be like like March Madness, except with uh, better basketball players. Well, as I admitted, uh, I've kind of changed my tune because I wasn't as big a fan as you were. Uh, and after what has transpired the last week leading up to this and knowing what could happen uh, this upcoming week with the play in action, I've kind of come around to it. But playing devil's advocate, the, the reason why I didn't like it was I thought it watered down the product of the regular season. If you're going to play a whole long pre- uh, regular season and 72 is still a lot. It's not 82 because of COVID issues, but 72 is still a pretty long season. And you play all those and two-thirds of the team get to play in postseason. Wh- why did you go through that all to eliminate one-third of the league? Uh, that was my stance. I'm not as harshly behind it as I once was, but what would you say to someone like myself who'd that bring that up to you? The irony, Jody, is it's actually the inverse. So people who are like kind of purists on this, well, it, it cheapens the regular season because the whole point of playing the regular season is to establish who's in the playoffs, and if you let more teams in via the play-in, and if you put the 7th and 8th place teams at risk, then you've cheapened what they accomplished. But the inverse is actually true, or maybe both things are true. I respect that opinion. I understand. You play a whole season to position yourself. That's great. But if the idea is that you're worried about it cheapening the regular season, what cheapens the regular season more? The old way in which the last month of the season, a bunch of teams pulled the plug in a race to the bottom, teams that thought, ah, we don't have a shot, we're going to bench all our veterans and just play the young guys, that cheapens the regular season. And then you get a lot of bad games and a lot of disinterest in those last weeks of the season. Instead, what we had was more teams still trying, more fan bases then still engaged, and races that came down to the final weekend of the season. So you tell me, which is more cheapening of the regular season? The fact that you can now still make the playoffs potentially if you finish ninth or 10th, and thus the regular season standings don't matter quite as much, or you cut it off at 8th, and you have a bunch of teams pulling the plug, and the last month of the season has got a lot of lousy games. I hear your argument. It makes a ton of sense. What I would respond to that would be, well, then why not two more teams? And or two more teams, and we just move it around so we get more play-in action to keep those teams at the bottom to continue to try and get in. And what, where's the line that you draw? We know where it was dried, drawn forever. 16 out of 30 made it. Now it's... Uh, two more teams in each conference. That's four more teams. Well, if we did four more, would we be going too far? Where is the line where we go, all right, it's not the NCAA tournament. It's not field of 64, but we want to have some uh, teams actually eliminated for having god-awful regular seasons. Where is that line? Well, I mean, you could just say that even in the traditional format that we've had since, whatever, 1984, I think, with the top eight teams in each conference, you already have more than 50% of the NBA making the postseason. And you have a long track record of seventh and eighth seeds losing about 99% of the time. So you could already argue that eh, it's already too deep. It's all, it's all along been too many teams in the playoffs. 
the seventh and eighth seeds have almost no shot at ever winning. Why are they even there? You could say that. All this is doing is giving a couple of different other teams a chance to be seventh or eighth. Like, these playing games are not the playoffs. That's the thing. They are not the playoffs. We did not extend from 16 teams in the playoffs to 20. It will still be 16. The play-in games are not playoff games. They are to get in. And once you get in, you will still have a field of eight in one conference and a field of eight in the other. It's just that we're changing out potentially the seventh and eighth place teams for teams that for a team that finished lower. And it may well be that the team that finished lower in the regular season, say the Washington Wizards, might actually be a better seventh or eighth seed. Well, they can only get to eighth. But they might actually be a better eighth seed than the team that would have otherwise finished there because the Wizards finished on, on a really strong note. They had a rough season. They had COVID issues. They had injury issues. And it took them a while to find their footing. And once they did, they got on a roll. Wouldn't you rather have the team that's peaking at the end than some team that maybe built up some wins early on and had a cushion but maybe wasn't that great at the end? And, again, seventh and eighth seeds are generally cannon fodder anyway. All right. And I gave you credit on the air here because I, I did not realize the splitting of hairs. And I get it. It is what it is. Uh, that they're not playoff games. They're play-in games. And the NBA has created this whole new category of uh, achievement and potential statistics accrued. Uh, not playoff statistics. Not regular season statistics. T- statistics easy for me to say but play in statistics so i'll hit you with a uh, quickie quiz who is the all-time leading play-in scorer uh for the nba leading scorer <laughs> in the in the one play-in game that was staged last summer in the bubble correct it's uh either lillard or morant probably yeah you got it down to one or the other take a guess i'm gonna go with Ja. It was Ja, had 35 points. So uh, since his team is going back into the play-in again, he can add to his already NBA-leading most points scored ever in play-in action in this upcoming season. every young child always dreams to be the all-time scoring leader in the play-in. <laughs> Howard Beck, a Sports Illustrator, I guess, here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, uh, as you mentioned, we had some play-in action already today. Knicks garnered the fourth seed with their win against the Celtics. Wild game. They're up by 20. Looks like they're going to cruise the Celtics with their JV team actually make a run to make it interesting in the final minute. The Knicks are going to have a home court advantage in the first round. I did not see this coming. I thought they'd been proved. I thought Thibodeau was a good signing. Uh, I thought they were going to take a step in the right direction under Leon Rose's leadership this year. To get to the four seed in the East, I would have bet good money against that. How have they done it? Well, You're not the only one who's surprised. Fans aren't the only ones who are surprised. Pundits aren't the only ones who are surprised. The Knicks are surprised. I guarantee you, guarantee you, nobody at Madison Square Garden saw this coming. Um, So many things fell into place, and credit all the way around. There's no one place to to point this, but I I would start with Julius Randle because he's seven years into his career, former lottery pick of the Lakers, Lakers – you know, we're so unenthused about him that they let him walk to New Orleans. And New Orleans, after a couple of years, was so unenthused, they let him walk to New York. And the Knicks signed him for a contract that was so favorable that, you know, he's he's now an incredible bargain. I mean, he's he's not even fully guaranteed for next season. That's how relatively low his stock was. So credit to Julius Randle for being the one to decide, I'm going to get myself in better shape. I'm going to pass more instead of being a black hole on offense, which he often was. It was, like, really frustrating for his teams and for fans of those teams. And for becoming a better passer, a more dedicated passer, for becoming a much better three-point shooter than he ever was. 
the kind of leaps you don't usually see a guy who's seven years in. So that's, that's all Julius Randle. But the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit, too, for, you know, whether it's Randle, whether it's R.J. Barrett's second-year leap, whether it's Emmanuel Quickly as a rookie being able to play the, the pivotal role that he did, and credit Tibbs for not only that he instilled a defensive mindset here, and the, and the defense is a huge, huge part of this, because offensively they're not that dynamic of a team. They're okay. They're, they're like they're an okay offensive team. Despite Julius Randle's all-NBA type of campaign, the rest of the roster, not spectacular offensively. They've done it with defense, and that's Tibbs. Um, but also Tibbs is the one who I think had to sell the front office on going and getting Derrick Rose, his old pal, for the third time in their careers together in the third different place. And Derrick Rose has been pivotal for them. Uh, you know, there are people at the Garden think they may not have made the playoffs without Derrick Rose. And, you know, that was a midseason pickup. There was some concern about, is he taking minutes away from quickly? And the young guys, isn't this more of a developmental year? But, no, they went and got him, and he's been fantastic for them. Taj Gibson and another old Bulls friend for Tibbs been great. And it, it's it's a little of everything, you know, career years, I think, from, from Alec Burks and Reggie Bullock. And it, it's just everything has fallen into place. It's it's uh, it's It's been incredible. It's been absolutely incredible. Of course, the river from the Knicks is the Nets. They're up by 11 points at halftime, beating uh, Cleveland tonight, 67-56. Got a win they had to have last night, so they put themselves in position. Win they know they've got the two-seed James Harden not back in the lineup tonight. Big deal. They had their big three together for only the eighth time since Harden was acquired and got that win. But now he's sitting again tonight. I haven't seen anything on it. Uh, Re-injury, caution. After they got the big three together, they just needed one dry run to get ready for the postseason. That I don't quite understand. Do you know why Harden's not playing tonight? I think what I saw was something like injury management for his hamstring. But, I mean, you know, they need to be cautious. Um, you know, hamstrings, as we know, can, can come back really quickly if you if you rush it, if you put too much pressure on it. But, I mean, he played last night so uh, or the other night. So, I don't I – mean, it was. No, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. They're, yeah. they're finishing with, with the back-to-back. I mean, not playing him on a back-to-back after missing weeks with a hamstring seems like the prudent thing to do. I mean, I, listen, I, I have my doubts about the Nets, period. And I do think that the more time those guys play together, the better off they'll be. But at this stage, you're not you're not going to establish all that chemistry and rhythm in one game on the last game of the regular season. And you know, seeding doesn't really matter to them. They're either they're either so incredibly talented that rhythm and chemistry and defense don't matter, <laughs> which is possible, or you know whether those things matter or not. Being two versus three, I don't think is going to be the critical thing here. I think the critical thing is that those three guys are healthy and that that team is in rhythm and that they find a way somehow in the playoffs to muster some sort of decent defensive showing. Um, as I say, I, I have my doubts about them. Yeah, so do I. Um, Portland and Denver is probably the most interesting late game. The Lakers are playing at the same time, and the Lakers in Portland are fighting for that sixth spot to not have to play in the play-in round. Uh, the Portland got the tougher draw by having to play Denver, while the Lakers got to play New Orleans, but they got to do so on the road, and Portland is home. What is Denver's motivation tonight? No, they're tied with the Clippers. Some project that, hey, if they lose, they'd actually be better in the four slot than the three slot. I never believe that. I always think teams should finish as strong as humanly possible going into the playoffs. 
Uh, I, I, Portland is, is, I think, desperate to win because I know what their difference is between winning and losing. What kind of resistance is Denver putting up tonight against Portland? Probably not much. Probably not. I mean, I don't know if they're going to just let go of the rope entirely on the premise that they don't mind slipping or that they want to manipulate. Like, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of where you want to finish and it's a little bit of who you think you might want to draw in the first round. And, you know, you got to look ahead a little bit about second round too. I mean, it's it, like all of those things, but um, you can, you can overthink this and, and, and screw yourself up. I mean, I don't think that the Nuggets have a lot to play for being in that three, six spot. They win potentially the Lakers get to six and now you're facing the Lakers in the first round. I think that's the big thing. It's, and, and so um, you lose, you help Portland stay in six. And if you're still in three, You've got Portland instead of the Lakers. If you slip to four and you've got Dallas, that's fine too. So you think uh, Portland has a big advantage? They're home, certainly. They've been playing great ball, so they got an advantage there. We'll see if that plays out. If the I I, I you uh, you just mentioned you got your questions about uh, Brooklyn, as do I. I also now have my questions about the Lakers, who I thought were the uh, logical choice to be the favorite coming into the year, but this game, this year has not gone well, and LeBron's injuries are what they are. Same with Davis. Does them getting a play-in game first or actually getting into the sixth seed change the way you would look at the Lakers' chances to defend their championship? Where they finish is not going to be how I view them. Um, I mean, if you're in seventh or eighth, you're obviously, you know, you're, it's a precarious position, right? One, you know, one bad call, one turned ankle, one bad shooting night, whatever. Suddenly now you're, you know, you, you lose the first game. Now you're playing the winner of nine ten, and you're facing potential elimination before you even get to the playoffs. Like it's precarious, but I don't, I don't really care where the Lakers finish six or seven. I care whether or not, um, LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy and Schroeder is, you know, he's obviously back now and he's in rhythm. Like the, the Lakers, it's not exactly analogous to the Nets, but there's some of the same issues. They have barely played together over the last couple of months. And you've got a new, a new center in Andre Drummond who LeBron has barely played with. AD and, and, and Drummond, the two ADs have not been all that fluid together. So they've got stuff to figure out and a rotation to reset on the fly here. That's not great, but I think we all know, and we've all said the phrase a thousand times, if the Lakers are healthy, they're still the favorites. And so while I do think there are some rhythm issues there and some chemistry issues, they are at least the defending champions and are in their second year with this basic core group. So they've got a big head start. You know, rhythm matters. Having all those losses to injuries over the last couple of months matters, but less so because this team has already been together, at least the core group has. Whereas with the Nets, this is a team that's been microwaved. And Harden just arrived in January, mid-January, and then only played whatever 30-something games. And the, the big three were never together. And they completely revamped their entire rotation and supporting cast. I mean, Mike James is playing big minutes. Like, he just got there a few weeks ago. Nick Claxton started the season injured, for the, missed the first couple months. He's now, you know, a, a key rotation piece. Like, they just – the Nets feel brand new. Like, they just started yesterday. The Lakers at least have been together for a while. If they're healthy, they're still the team to beat. And in L.A., uh, tell me you agree or disagree, 
I, I'm not sure what uh, Steve Nash can do as far as pulling that team together as a coach. I think you're rolling the dice any way you do it. But I thought Fogel did a great job last year. And if there's going to be a guy who's going to be able to keep it together and kind of figure it out on the fly, which I think the Lakers have to with all the returning guys for him injury, I think he's a pretty good guy to do so. Agree or disagree? Look, I mean, I just on, on Nash – I don't think Nash has gotten actually enough credit for what they have done. You know, everybody looks at what the Nets have done this year and where they're finishing and say, oh, well, it's easy when you've got the stars. But he's rarely had the three of them together and has often not even had two of them together. And it's been a really choppy season. And they traded, you know, a a big chunk of of the rotation in that Harden deal. As I said, they brought in all these new pieces. They brought in Blake Griffin. They brought in LaMarcus Aldridge. Then they lost LaMarcus Aldridge. They brought in Mike James. I mean – Nash has just kind of quietly kept it all humming. And sure, is that easier to do when you've got stars? Yeah, but like, like those are not easy stars either. Like those are three pretty, you know, interesting, unique personalities. So I think Nash has done a great job. I think Vogel's done a phenomenal job. The Lakers, you know, sure, they, they fell off quite a bit during the time that Anthony Davis and LeBron were out, but they could have fallen off a cliff. And instead they played around 500 ball because they still kept playing really strong defense. And that's a credit to Vogel. Nope, and you and I see Vogel correctly. You're giving Nash a little bit more credit than I am, but that's okay. All right, last thing. Um, in most of the states now in the United States, you can legally wager websites, apps, and the like. Uh, so there are so many wagering outlets, it's uh, ridiculous. I'm not asking for anyone else's. I'm asking for the Howard Beck wagering perspective going into this postseason in the NBA. Who's the Western Conference favorite? Who's the Eastern Conference favorite? Well, I'm not a betting person, and I wouldn't bet on the NBA anyway because that would be unethical as a journalist covering the league. Uh, right. So I, w- I will say this strictly as just my gut and not as uh, anybody to take as gambling advice. Um, it, I'm, I'm going to base a lot on what I see this week from the Lakers as they go through either the play-in or the start of the playoffs next weekend. I think the Lakers are, are the, the logical favorites still as long as they're healthy. But I do think as we head into this, I think there are five teams in the West that can legitimately make a run. I really do. I know that people have doubts about the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. They've still been winning at a great clip, and they've got the likely MVP in Jokic. The Clippers people you know, always have a, a certain reservation about because of the way that that last season ended. This is their second full season together. They're stronger than they were then. The Jazz and Suns are hard to evaluate because we didn't see this coming. They took these huge leaps that nobody could have expected, especially Phoenix. But are they solid enough that if things break their way that they can make a run? Sure. Like, I, I just it's, – it's a really interesting and I think wide open race in the West because we have not seen the Lakers at full strength enough to be convinced that they are impossible to knock off. Like, I, I, I think there is a certain possible vulnerability there because of, of uh, how much time those guys missed. And in the East – People will talk about it being a three-team race. I think it's four. I think it's Milwaukee, Philly, and Brooklyn, and I think Miami is still in there. They're the defending Eastern Conference champs. They're tough as heck. Jimmy Butler is a baller. Um, they always will, will play tough defense, and they move the ball well. And, you know, they're, they're not afraid of anybody. I think they're the team in the lower half that nobody wants to deal with. And the, since they're going to finish in the sixth spot, one of those two teams is going to come out, either Milwaukee or Miami, after the first round, uh, which would be a great opening round series. 
Uh, Howard, great as always are your appearances on my show. And uh, tonight is just another one to add to the pile. Thank you very much. We will certainly be in touch during the playoffs. Appreciate you hopping on with us. Absolutely, Judy Mac. Thanks for having me. That is Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. His podcast, Stacking the uh, excuse me, the crossover, um, used to be full forty eight, uh, but when he changed working outlets and came over to Sports Illustrated, got a new name for his podcast. Still great NBA conversation on uh, his podcast, The Crossover. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.